0: Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Hello and welcome to First Forward, Um, my very first First Forward, and this one is for the lectionary reading for Sunday, November 19th. Now this is just an introductory, kind of a a beginning sampling of First Forward, but the idea behind First Forward is that these will be released to subscribers in advance and then made public or free on the day that they apply. So I'm recording this on the 17th of November, just a couple days before. And our readings, I will not read the readings for Sunday. Um, I will, however, provide some amount of commentary to every passage provided by the Vanderbilt Library lectionary um, uh, database. You can find that at lectionary.library.vanderbilt.edu. And this morning's for November 19th are a couple of doozies. We have Judges 4, Psalm 123, Zephaniah 1, Psalm 90, 1 Thessalonians 5, and Matthew 25. Now, Judges 4 is particularly important for military families because in Judges 4 we have Deborah. Deborah, who is a fiery woman, um, is a prophet as well as the judge of Israel in Judges 4 and 5. A bit about her name. Her name, Devora, uh, appears, and she is called the Isa Lapidot. Isa is woman, it's sometimes used for wife, and translators have frequently translated Isa Lapidot as wife of Lapidot. However, Lapidot does not occur anywhere else in the Hebrew Bible, and it's very rare in outside. Hebrew literature. There's some modern Hebrew last names, Lapidot, but it is basically the plural form of Lapid, which is torch or flame, the same that Samson uses to light the fox's tails on fire, the same torch that Gideon uses to smash before he overtakes an enemy camp. Um, And so these torches or flames could also simply be a way of describing Deborah as a fiery woman. It is not necessary that she is a wife of Lapidote. There is no other Lapidote, and there's no male attached to her other than Barak, who she calls forth from Kadesh Naphtali. Kadesh is a priestly Levitical refuge city in the region of Naphtali. Barak himself is a member of the Naphtali tribe, and he leads 10,000 uh, Israelite soldiers from his own tribe of Naphtali, as well as the tribe of Zebulon. Naphtali and Zebulon are recurring um, uh, themes in the uh, conflict literature of the Hebrew Bible. They are almost always the ones called first to battle. Um, Barak, who, um, as I've said, comes from Kadesh, the holy city in the in the region of Naphtali, is very similar. To Jesus, whose anglicized name is actually Joshua, who comes also out of a holy city, Nazar, or Nazara, uh, which also is a form of holiness in Numbers uh, 16, the Nazarites. This word is kind of uh, ambiguous. It's sometimes not even translated in the Greek, um, but it's another kind of holiness. And I point this out, you can read about it in Jesus' hometown at the training room. And so you have a woman who calls forth Barak, uh, a holy city, uh, calls forth a military commander to lead 10,000 troops at Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is also the historic site of the transfiguration, where Jesus is transfigured beside Elijah and Moses before uh, Peter, James, and John, I believe. Um, So there's a whole lot of symbolism that connects Judges 4 to the New Testament and Jesus. Um, although this passage doesn't include it, um, the uh, the glory of victory d- will not go to Barak, but go to another woman named Jael, whose name means mountain goat, who will deal the death blow to Cicero when he when Barak drives them his forces out and they're in retreat. Um, Psalm one twenty three is very short. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of reflection on it. Zephaniah as well. Um, Psalm 90 is, uh, is an important one, but I did want to mention, very importantly, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. That is, um, uh, 1 Thessalonians is an authentic Pauline epistle, and Paul uses an ancient tradition, the armor of God, which you can find on the, at the training room. He mentions the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, of the hope of salvation you'll find that again in the pseudo pauline letter of uh, to the ephesians in chapter 6 of that letter where it expounds on it and adds more things but 1 Thessalonians 5 is borrowing from the book of the wisdom of sirach which is this intertestamental apocryphal book which itself is borrowing from isaiah 59:17 likely the origin of the armor of God motif, where you have the breastplate and the helmet, which are recurring items, but you also invariably have the sword of truth, uh, the put on the the zeal of the Lord as its whole armor. Um, it has in Ephesians the the sandals of peace, etc. And go you can go find that out. Learn more at uh, the training room at trng slash armor God. And then finally, Matthew 25, it's important to point out, if it hasn't been said before, that the parable of the sheeps uh, and the goats, I'm sorry, no, not the sheeps and the goats, the parable of the talents, oftentimes priests and pastors will, will mistakenly think that the bad guy is the one that didn't earn the master money. But Jesus here is drawing upon actual historical occurrences that he would have understood and noticed and been told about when he was a kid. Namely, that when Herod the Great dies, shortly after he's born, when he's about four or five years old, Herod's sons get into a scuffle about who gets what land. They send envoys to Rome to have Rome kind of give their blessing to whoever. Um, and one of them, Archelaus in particular, who was the ruler of Perea and Galilee, if I remember correctly, Archelaus was not popular. He was heavy-handed. He ruled with an iron fist. The people did not like him. So they send their own envoy to tell Rome, look, don't make Archelaus king. And in fact, Rome does not make him king, and he's kind of humiliated and he's kind of left in exile. But he doesn't get a peace after they all send their envoys off. And if you'll notice in the parable or the story of the talents, the master is not a good master. And the last person who has given these talents, uh, he treats them as an Israelite wood, as a farmer, as an agrarian. He puts it in the ground and he says, well, whatever grows is what he deserves. And when his master comes back, he says, hey, I planted this in the ground. And it didn't yield anything. So here's your shitty little fucking seeds. And the master, who's a harsh man, just like Archelaus, says, fuck you, go kill him, and then give the talents to other people and make them make money without work. And so the hero of the story is the person who's put to death. It's the earliest parable emphasizing and venerating martyrdom. The hero of the story is the one who does not earn anything for his master, um, just like um, because he represents the people who stood up to an unjust ruler and who were punished for it. And this is, again, historically, uh, it's a historical morality play. Jesus has taken actual events that other people like him would have known about and couched it in just enough symbolism and hyperbole to make, to insulate himself from consequences in case Archelaus's Uh, friends and supporters hear him talking about Archelaus in this way, just like the person who's killed at the end. So there are uh, a number of pieces in this Sunday lectionary that are important to get right in terms of political theology, violence, um, power, uh, rulership, Um, starting with Deborah of Judges 4 and Barak, of course, as well as the armor of God in 1 Thessalonians 5, and the parable of the talents, which is really the historical fable of the talents in Matthew 25. So if you have uh, military families, soldiers, veterans in your congregation, or if you are one of those things, I hope you'll read more deeply into the text, um, understand how nuanced they can be, and the complicated position that the Bible Um, And our tradition takes in terms of uh, violence and political coercion. Don't read this stuff at face value and just assume like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to save up all my money and not do any work, but somehow magically gain money. Um, That was looked down upon by the rural agrarian farmers that Jesus um, represented before the Sanhedrin and represented in the minds of other poor rural farmers like himself in Judea. Uh, or around Judea and Galilee and Samaria um this is a uh, 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 there's a class distinction that should influence how we interpret these texts, so be careful not to make the typical move of hey, this thing from Matthew five is about working with the rulers and working with the banks and the financial system to just make the most of it That's not what matthew twenty five is about um and it, it's also important to point out and recognize where soldier saints like Deborah and Barak appear in the text and their part in the historical development of Israel. Uh, the song of Deborah in Judges 5, because of its language, its archaic use of uh, these phrases and idioms that are very, very old, a lot of scholars identified Judges 5 as one of the earliest anecdotes of the oldest surviving stories to make it into... The Hebrew Bible and the Hebrew Scriptures, um, and so it's important to point out that soldiers and and political um, units, right, like fighting for lack of a better word or or assembling to defend our interests, is right there at the very beginning, not just of our our history as the people of God, but also our scripture as uh, and the the book of God. So hopefully. This episode of First Forward is helpful. I know it's pointing off to a lot of things. Uh, you can search the show notes for links to pages that I have, like uh, for Deborah, for the Armor of God, um, the uh, the story of the talents. To learn more, um, check out those links. Uh, also feel free to reach out to me if you would like me to help you craft your sermon, craft or, or uh, adjust your... Um, your theology or, or look at your theology and have discussions about where it might improve in order to uh, secure and vouchsafe the human dignity of soldiers and veterans in your congregation. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, follow the links to com slash contact and let me know if there's any way I can help. I hope this episode has been helpful. Um, it will be free to everybody. Uh, on the morning of the 19th and i'll try to keep these uh, sunday lectionary texts going with a lot of show notes with links to other things that will help you kind of fill out your understanding of the military kind of intersections of of our faith and our scriptures Thank you for falling in to First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Or, if you serve military families, subscribe to First Forward, a paid subscription feed providing commentary on Sunday lectionary texts a week in advance. Use it for sermon prep or just because you support the troops. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instruction will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PewPewHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off of air. So there you have it. Three Ways to Participate in First Formation I hope you'll continue to listen even if I haven't convinced you to fall in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac. Always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.